We began this series last week called, uh, for Lent that we've called Out of the Darkness, uh, God's, The Relentless Freedom of God. And, and from what I heard, Tyler did a great job starting the series, and, and so I would applaud him, but he's on a camping trip. So uh, with that, uh, but we all, at some, at some level, right, we all experience darkness. Like, whether you are in darkness now, or you have been in darkness before, or really you'll be, you'll experience darkness at some point. A time where, where last week Tyler talked about that, that it's sort of the sense of the absence of God, where God feels far off. And we, w- we would all say that at some point we have experienced darkness, or we will experience darkness. And so we're looking in this series at the first 14 chapters we're going to do that in less than 14 weeks. You do the math. Um, first 14 chapters of the book of Exodus. And the thrust of this series is to really look at how God responds in darkness. The darkness that we experience, how does God respond? And the hope that we can have for freedom. I want to start by telling you a story. Like So last week, many of you know, Jerry and I were in Southern California. We were in San Diego for the meeting. But before that, Sunday, we went to the Anaheim Vineyard. That's like the original... Way back when, John Wimber, you know, that whole thing. Uh, if you don't know, you can come and ask me afterwards. Uh, but we went to the Anaheim Vineyard, and it was, it was really cool. But they had a guy, uh, his name was Brian Peterson, and he was preaching, but it was like more of like a storytelling because he had a canvas, and he was painting while he was talking. And I was going to grab a picture and show you, but I didn't, didn't get it up on the screen. But just pretend there's a picture of a guy. You can see it, can't you? Right? But, but so the, the, this guy, Brian, who, he had like this sort of gifting in art and this ability to, to create art, but he had laid it aside for a while. And then five years ago, he met Jesus. And early, early on in his relationship with Jesus, see, he lives in Santa Ana, which is a kind of a, uh, a part of, of L.A., Actually, not exactly a suburb of L.A., uh, but Around his neighborhood, there's lots of homeless people. And he, he, said, he was telling this story about this guy, Matthew, who would walk the streets and scream. And everybody knew Matthew, but nobody knew Matthew. And Brian said that he had this prompting from the Lord. He's a new Christian. He has this prompting from the Lord, like, I've walked past this guy a hundred times, and I've never asked him his name. So he walked up to to Matthew and he said, hey man, I live right over here. You walk past my house all the time. And I feel, I want to apologize for not ever having introduced myself. Can I, can can we just like get to know each other? And so he and Matthew got to know each other. And before he could kind of catch himself, he had this like, what he said is, hey man, can I paint you your picture? Like, can I paint your picture? And so Matthew said, you want to paint my picture? I mean, I guess so. So he began to paint this picture of Matthew, this, this homeless guy in Santa Ana. Well, in a short period of time, he paint, this is the first time he said in nine years he had painted. He paints this guy's picture. Well, he puts it out there, and he says, can I, can I, can I just sort of like show people this painting like, and sort of like humanize you? And so he got to the end, and he, and he said... Uh, he, he laid the painting down and showed Matthew this painting, and he said, I want you to sign it. Can you sign it? And he said, Matthew looked at the canvas, and he had forgotten how to sign his own name. 
It had been so long, he had forgotten to sign his own name. And he said, and after a little bit, he looked at this canvas and he remembered how to sign his own name. And what Brian said was, this was the beginning of restoring Matthew's identity and his humanity. So this painting, but it didn't just stop there. Well, this painting then started, the news caught it, and it went around the world, and, and this, this, organiz- this thing cr- called The Faces of Santa Ana. If you, I mean, if you have your phone, you can even look it up. The Faces of Santa Ana, and you can see the paintings I'm talking about. He began to, one by one, paint the, the portraits of all of the homeless neighbors that he had in Santa Ana. Half of the money goes into an account Whatever money gets raised by the, the paintings goes into account to help them out of homelessness. And this thing just got created all because God had a plan for Brian. That God intended to break into darkness with Brian. And now what they're doing is they're having the, the homeless neighbors in Santa Ana help them design murals for the walls and they're helping them create and restore and beautify the neighborhood with their, with their self-portraits. God had a plan for the darkness in Santa Ana and involved Brian. And I think that what we're, what we're after today is that, that God has a plan and a purpose for each of you. That you are part of God's answer to darkness. Last week, Tyler talked about, you know, when darkness comes. Today, what I want to point, what I want to say is the way God responds to darkness is with you. That you are part of God's answer. Turn with me in your Bible to Exodus 2. We're going to, if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, we have a handful over here. uh, Or you can get the digital version and find it. But Exodus 2. And I want to begin at the end of Exodus 2, and then we'll kind of jump back to the beginning. So beginning in verse 23 of Exodus 2, here's what we read. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The nation of Israel had been rescued by God's hand. If you kind of jump back to to Genesis, you see that, that over a period of time, the nation of Israel continually was rescued by God. And as we get into the beginning of Exodus, they're now mistreated by this king of Egypt. And they were, this king was not favorable to Israel. And darkness comes on the nation of Israel in the form of this oppressive king. And as chapter 1 ends, what we see and what, what kind of Tyler showed you last week is that God prospered the nation of Israel in spite of the darkness that was happening around them. The oppression that they were experiencing. Well, as we jump to the end of chapter 2, what we see is that the nation of Israel still is in no better shape. Nothing has really changed. As we get to the end of the passage we just read, the original king of Egypt has died, but nothing else has changed. And the nation of Israel is still crying out to God, when are you going to do something? When are you going to break in? And it says that God remembered his promises. Now, this is nearly 80 years since the king began to oppress the Israelites. Nearly 80 years And this is when God remembers. And from the perspective of the Israelites, there's probably this sense of like, did God save us there to kill us here? 
That's, that, that, that's sure, I mean, sure, God had rescued us from famine, you know, and, and Joseph had, had gone away and, and became second in command of Egypt, and now we're safe because Joseph, you know, and so now we're living in Egypt and everything's a-okay. Sure, he broke in. Sure, he did that for us. But now we're in a bad spot again. We're in a rough place again. Did God rescue us there so we could die horribly here? Over and over and over throughout Scripture, this is the phrase that gets repeated, right? And isn't this at some level the fear that we all have? Like every last one of us who has had some encounter with God and God miraculously broke into our lives, and isn't this a fear that you find? Yes, God saved me, but where is He now? Yeah, I've seen God move in my life, but what about now? I don't have hope for my situation now. I mean, maybe it, you were in a bad relationship in the past and God broke in miraculously and broke you out of that relationship, but now you find yourself in another bad relationship. Or maybe you were in a financial situation that was just horrible and you didn't have what you needed and God came through miraculously. You just had, A check came in the mail and you were like, I don't know where this came from. Thank you, Lord. And yet you find yourself again in a situation that seems hopeless. Maybe you were bound by a demonic spirit and God delivered you and you began to live into freedom and then you became aware that there are still other spirits that I live under. And where is God now? Maybe you were living a life of despair, God gave you hope. Maybe you were living a life of meaninglessness and God gave you purpose. Or if you're not a follower of Jesus, Maybe this is your story, that maybe you heard from a friend or a neighbor or a coworker about the miraculous intervening that God did in their life, and you thought, maybe that could be for me, but now where you sit, you're like, I'm just not so sure God will do it. Can you, have you experienced this? Can you identify with this fear? In all of these situations, the common thread is that we've seen God move before. We've seen God break in before, but now... We're just not so sure about the limits of God's goodness. Like, have we seen the limits of what God will do? Friend, if you're in this place, hear me now. God has not brought you to this point to drop you. God has not saved you in the past to forget you. He's not rescued you to kill you. He has not forgotten you. What he has done in the past, he will do again. He is faithful. And you need to know that there is no limit to the goodness of God. There is no limit. Just when we think we've experienced the limit, God shows us even more. Lamentations 3 says this, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Friend, God has not forgotten you. No matter what situation you find yourself in today, God has not forgotten you. He has not abandoned you. Likely the Israelites found, uh, found themselves feeling very abandoned. But as we look back to the beginning of chapter 2 in Exodus, what we discover is God was already at work. Before they cried out, God was already at work. At the beginning of chapter 2, we're introduced to Moses. At the very beginning, they don't even name him. He doesn't have a name at the beginning of the chapter. 
And this is God's answer to the darkness that Israel is facing. When God responds to darkness, all throughout Scripture, He responds the same way. God doesn't like wave a magic wand and change the circumstances. All throughout Scripture, when God responds to darkness, He raises up a person. This is God's answer. It's a person. Over and over and over, when God acts, He raises a person for the task. So in response to the darkness in Exodus 1, God says, here's Moses. This is my response to the darkness. It's the same thing He does. If you look at the very beginning of Genesis, when when everything goes sideways in Scripture, right? The creation, it just gets ugly. By the time you get to the first five chapters of of Genesis, the world's pretty much a mess. And God's response to the mess is Noah. Noah, build a boat. I'm going to save humanity through you, Noah. And then in a few more chapters, it goes sideways again. This is kind of a, a pretty routine pattern. And by Genesis 12, God's response is Abraham. And then as Genesis goes on and and the nation of Israel is under threat, God's response is Joseph. And here we get to to Exodus, and God's response is Moses. As you get to the judges over and over and over, when Israel's in a mess, God responds with a judge, with a person who's going to save Israel, who's going to rescue Israel. And of course, God's greatest act in all of the darkness, God's response to the darkness in humanity is Jesus. He doesn't just wave a magic wand. He sends a person. And don't you think there's something about that? Like, it communicates God's heart that that He intends to do things personally, that He responds to darkness with a person. And here's where the rubber meets the road. You are part of God's response to the darkness in the world. You, every last one of you, are part of the answer part of God's answer to darkness. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God created you with a specific work against darkness in mind. Every last one of you. Even if you don't know Jesus yet. God created you for a purpose. You have a kingdom purpose. We can learn a lot from the, about this principle when we look at Moses. And if you want to, look, I mean, even if you don't want to, it's going to come up on the screen. But uh, look with me at Exodus 2, beginning at verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, he hid, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of 
the water. Right at the very beginning of this chapter, we get an idea of what God intends to do with Moses. The very first line says he was a Levite, born of a Levite woman. And what this really means is that these were the people, the Levites were the people who were going to work nearest to God's presence. And so in this line, what there, what's trying to be communicated is Moses is going to work near to God's presence. And if you fast forward a little bit, what you find is Moses is the one who speaks to God face to face. And he comes out and his face is radiant because he speaks to God face to face. Right away, we get this idea that Moses is a significant baby, that Moses' birth is significant. It's important. And early on, his mother recognized that he's a special child, right? I mean, come on, all you moms, you think your kid is special, and that is true for you and the rest of the world too. But, but this mother, like there's something significant about the birth of Moses, right? This mom, uh, she takes these special steps to like try to spare his life. Uh, you know, from this edict to kill all the male children. And the next thing we see is sort of God's hand moving, right? We see God pro- like providing for Moses. Like they, they hide the baby uh, among the reeds and his sister sort of hangs out. Like, I don't know if you caught that. His sister just sort of hangs out like, I'm just kind of watching. And presumably this is so like, I'm going to go rescue this baby once it's safe to do so. So his sister hangs out, and, and of course, Pharaoh da- Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby, and when that happens, you see, you know, like, Moses' sister just sort of like, hey, just happen to be here. Uh, I might know a Hebrew woman that could take care of that baby for you. And then what, what happens? Moses' mother gets paid to mother her baby. How many of you moms want to get paid to do mothering? Do you, do you see, like, God's hand moves on Moses. Do you see that? It's evident early on that Moses was raised by God for a special purpose. Some of you have similar stories. Maybe you weren't like thrown into a river, but, but some of you, you have stories where God moved and intervened on your behalf early on. Maybe you were, were a baby who was an at risk to be aborted, but God saved you. Maybe you were uh, born in a situation where, uh, where you didn't have parents, and yet God made it so that you were raised in a home where you could know Jesus, that you were adopted. Maybe early on in your life, you were in a situation where you almost died, but God spared your life. Maybe you were graced, I mean, maybe you were just graced to be born in a family who knows Jesus. And so you grew up knowing that Jesus was, was alive and well your whole life. Maybe from your earliest days, you were aware that you had special gifts. Maybe you were like, you know, some, I don't know if you guys were like this, but it seemed to me as I was growing up, people would come to me for care. Like, people would come to me sort of to have a shoulder to cry on. I don't know why. I feel like I come off as very cold, but some of you are like, yeah, that's what's wrong with you. I just figured it out. But maybe some of you, like, that, that's your story. Like, people come to you, and they just, they're, they're able to bear their soul to you. They trust you. And you're like, I don't know, that's coincidence, right? Or maybe, maybe you were, like, you just sort of had a sense that you were going to protect the weakest. Like, that you had it in you that it doesn't really matter. I'm going to take care of those that can't take care of themselves. Or maybe people came to you for encouragement, 
And you just sort of like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just an upbeat person. I just don't think about bad things. I'm just super nice, and people like that. But these are gifts that God gave you early on. There's all kinds of possibilities, but the, the common thread is that early on in your life, you knew that God was near and had a purpose for your life. How many of you knew that God had a purpose from your life for your life early on? You had a sense of it, right? I, know, I, know, I mean, I know there's a number of you in this room, I've heard your stories, that God was moving in your life early, early on. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, these things are likely true of you. Like, likely, this is, this is what you would, you would have probably called them like, oh, isn't that a nice coincidence? Or aren't I just lucky? Or I am pretty nice, aren't I? Right? These things are God, God, what, what uh, Wesley would have called provenient grace. These are graces that God has given you before you come into relationship with Jesus. That God has given you grace so that you will find Jesus. So even if you're not a follower of Jesus, God has still given you purpose. He's created you for a purpose, to be His response in some area of darkness. Have you seen God's hand on your life? Have you seen that? Have you seen that from an early age He was shaping you, giving you experiences that will be useful later in life, protecting you from the things that would seek to destroy you? Friend, you are part of God's answer to darkness. Do you know that? And likely when you look back on your life, you, you look at all these experiences that you've had and these, these things that you've learned and you sort of like look at, I don't know if you are like me, but you look at your life as sort of this eclectic bag of tricks. Like, I don't know if you've ever, you're just like, wow, I have like, I learned this and I did this weird thing and I like had this thing. And these are all things that God was sort of depositing in this, this bag that he's intending for you to use. And maybe you don't know what it's for, but you're like, man, there's, this has got to be for something because that's a really weird bag, right? Like you met like the Pope or something, and then you met like the mayor, and you're like, man, I meet a lot of pretty influential people. That's got to be for something. Maybe you don't know what the purpose is, but there is a purpose. What are you doing with those things? Do you know God's purpose for your life? As we return to the story, it's evident that Moses was set apart for a purpose. Look at verse 11. Here's what it says. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Moses begins to identify with his purpose in life, the thing that God has called him to do to rescue the Israelite people. You can see this, like there's sort of like, there's no reason that Moses should care about the Hebrew people. None. He was raised in Egypt. He had like everything he ever wanted. He was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. There's no reason, but there's something inside of, of Moses that's like, I identify with the Hebrew people. 
There's something inside of him that says, I'm going to do something here. And what you see is that, that when he sees this, this Hebrew abused by this Egyptian, something just inside of him, just rage, and he kills the guy. And I want to pause there. I don't want to ever condone killing someone. So for those of you listening on the podcast, I'm not condoning and killing people. Yeah, that's weird. But I want to pause here. There's a real practical test for discovering what God's purpose for your life is here. Oftentimes, if you're trying to find what God's purpose for your life is, what the calling is on your life, look for those places where your emotions are deeply stirred. Where your heart breaks just inordinately. It just doesn't make sense, but my heart is broken at the moment. Or, or where rage just, where you just get so mad about this thing. That's not to justify every time you get mad, but what I'm saying is, if you'll learn to pay attention to what's happening inside of you, you will discover things about what God's doing with you. So, for example, if you hear about injustice and your blood just boils, it may be that God is calling you not to be a lawyer, but to to work kingdom justice. Maybe it is a lawyer, I don't know. But maybe that God is calling you to work for justice. You know, if you hear about sex trafficking and you weep for the lives of people, of children and women who, have, who are just going to live a life of being trafficked over and over and over, and all you can do is cry. Maybe it is that God wants to work through you against sex trafficking. Maybe this is a calling on your life. If you find that your heart breaks for the homeless, it may be that God is calling you to be an answer for homelessness. Or maybe it's a specific people group. Maybe some of you, when you think about the life that, that Muslims live, and you're like, they have no hope in Jesus, and that just breaks your heart. Maybe God is calling you to be the hope that they need. Or maybe you look at, you see these, these things on TV about people overseas, and your heart breaks for people who never know Jesus overseas because they just don't have the means, and they're dying because they don't have clean water, and they're dying because of malaria and all these things, and there's something in your heart that breaks. And maybe it is that God is calling you to overseas mission. Pay attention to where God is moving and where God is breaking your heart. For me, my heart breaks for people who don't know Jesus. In fact, it was one of the ways that I, that I began to discern that, that God would call me to reach out to people who don't know Jesus. Like, if you've never seen this, I get ridiculously angry at people who try to put a wall between people who don't know Jesus and Jesus. Like, it's like it would be with my kids. Like, if you try to keep them from Jesus, or you try to keep people who don't know Jesus from, uh, or, or shun them, or, or put some roadblock, I, I, I might tear your head off, honestly. It makes me, so, I mean, any of you that have ever seen me react to somebody putting a tract someplace, not to, I mean, if you do tracts, we can have a conversation later. But like this sort of like, I'm just going to leave this here. This is such good news that I'm not going to talk to you about it. That's ridiculous right? Or people who, who stand outside with the big signs that tell, you're going to burn in hell. I, like, I just want to break those. And typically, I, unredeemed moment, over their heads. That's what I want. Because I have this passion to see people who don't know Jesus coming. Like, I, I live a life. 
I live a life that I completely do not deserve, a life of so much grace and of so much blessing in Jesus. Like, how could you not want other people to have that? I've been forgiven so much. I have been, like, I just live just this life that I don't deserve. And if you want to keep others from that, I'm going to be your problem. It just doesn't seem, it's just ridiculous. So this is, pay attention is all I'm trying to get at. Pay attention to what's happening inside of you. God may be saying something. Moses reacts in anger and he kills the Egyptian, which tells us two things, at least two things. Number one, God probably has a purpose for Moses in liberating the Hebrews. And number two, that purpose is not yet mature. Right? It's not okay to kill people. Again, I say that. Or break signs over their head. Yes, don't hear me saying that I have never broken a sign over someone's head. It's just what, it's the picture that plays in my head. I'm going to need a lot of prayer. <laughs> but have you had that experience? Like, Have you experienced that? Where, where there's just something that God is bringing to your heart and to your mind that, that you just have deep passion for. Many of us have tried to live into what we believe, like Moses. We try to live into what our calling is, and, and we just sort of do it our own way, and it really just doesn't work out, right? And if you look at your past experience, probably you can see like twisted elements of that, right? Like where you're like, I'm just going to make, I, I see injustice, I'm just going to fix it my way, right? Haven't we seen this? I mean, you see, like Moses, we kind of tried it our own way, and maybe you didn't kill somebody, but you went around hurting a lot of people because I'm going to do this thing that I've been called to do no matter what. Before Moses could be the answer to the darkness that God created him to be, God had to get a hold of him. Moses takes off and runs whenever his way doesn't work out. And what happens after he runs is that God takes the next 40 years in the wilderness to grab Moses and shape him and mold him for the calling that he has on his life. 40 years. God wants to make sure that the way that he carried out his calling was consistent with God's heart. Friends, that's true of you too. That God has a calling and a purpose for you to work out to be light in darkness, but he's not going to just wave a magic wand and make it so. He's got to make it so that you carry it out in a way that's consistent with his heart. Until your calling and purpose is submitted and surrendered to Jesus, you won't be able to be the answer that you were called to be. No matter how passionate you are, you'll end up hurting people, maybe killing people. Until it's submitted to Jesus, you can't be the answer. For so many people, their created purpose never gets completely fulfilled because they never surrender it to Jesus. And for most of us, honestly, I think there's a lot of us in this room, we've said, yeah, I've surrendered my life to Jesus, but I still want to reserve the right to do my calling my way. I still want to reserve the right to promote it this way and do the things the way that I want to do them. But somebody said, whatever you keep is all you have. Whatever you give, God multiplies. If you surrender the calling that God has on your life, can you imagine what he would do with it? Can you imagine how far it would go? 